Maruchan superfans are everywhere. From the busy moms who want to deliver maximum flavor in a flash to dorm room diners who want to put some slurp in their step. There are a ton of copycats you could use, but if you want to bless your bowl, there's only one true Maruchan. Whether you choose instant lunch, ramen bowls, yakisoba, or restaurant quality gold, Maruchan is the only ramen worth obsessing over. Smiles for all, Maruchan. See what all the ramen hype is about at maruchan.com. This episode is brought to you by Undeniably Dairy. Dairy farmers are more than farmers. They're climate caretakers. They see water as a precious resource. Most farmers recycle water up to four times, from chilling the milk to irrigating the crops. And some even use technology to turn manure into renewable energy. To learn more about what dairy farmers are doing to make their farms more sustainable, visit usdairy.com. Hey, you are listening to Oh Crap Parenting with me, your host, Jamie Gorlacki. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey, you guys. Welcome, welcome. I always want to say good morning because I record these in the morning, but you may not be listening to it in the morning. (laughs) So today I have some just random thoughts and um, yeah, just random thoughts and and a personal update. So first and foremost, you won't be hearing my rooster, Cockadoodle, doing in the background. So we had to rehome our rooster and our two hens. We were down to two hens because we live in the woods and they free range and the predators come and swipe them, which is odd because I'm glad they're taken that way if they're taken because I don't see any sign. And I told Pascal, if a predator gets into the coop and there's like a bloodbath, I don't know that I can keep chickens anymore. But what typically happens is we come home and the chickens free range all over the woods. And it's great because they eat the ticks and they eat bugs. So like our yard has no ticks, our little yard, you know, we have surrounded by a lot of woods. So they're great for that. But like, we'll come home and what happens is chickens just automatically go back to their coop at like dusk and we'll just have some missing So we had 14 and then we got down to three and we had a period where we didn't have a rooster. So we had a a Rhode Island red rooster when we first got our flock and he died. And then we had a period where there wasn't a a rooster and one of the smallest chickens, a Rhode Island red, became like the alpha. It was really funny to watch. And she even started to like peck at me. And then we got Doodle, our most current rooster, who was always so vocal. (laughs) So, but they're very territorial. And we had, there was another chicken in our flock that wasn't with them. So they were like, the two hens were sort of, we call them the OG. They were part of our original flock. And then this other hen was newer to the flock and they went after her. And my rooster, who was, my rooster was a very nice rooster. Roosters can really be dicks. And this rooster was pretty awesome, but he was pecking her to death, like crazy to death. It was awful. And he was like raping her all the time. I mean, chickens are pretty rapey anyway. It was awful. And I was like, Pascal, will you kill the rooster or we kill the hen? Because I cannot, I cannot watch this slow death by beating. And we ended up being able to rehome that hen. But we can't introduce a new flock. And with only two hens, we only get two eggs a day. So we wanted a new flock. So we rehomed our rooster and our chicken and our hens, and we got uh, 14 new ones. And we got them sexed. Sexed. It's really hard to sex chickens early on. So supposedly we all got, we got all hens, but we'll see. 
roosters are useful, but they can turn on you. Like roosters, I've heard horror stories of them like attacking kids and they can, they can get very, especially in the mating season, they can get very rough. So that's my update on the chicken. So we have such cute little chicks. And of course they grow, they grow so fast. And Pascal was like, I just want them to stay little. And I was like, I know Maverick was so cute when he was little. You were so cute when you were little. (laughs) Babies of any species are so cute, right? Moving on, I wanted to tell you uh, this really cute story that sort of reiterates a toddler philosophy of mine. So my gym, there's a person at my gym who lives on the ocean, on the bay that feeds into the ocean. And so in the summertime, every weekend we have paddle nights and we bring a kayak or I have a stand-up paddleboard or canoe, whatever your flotation device is, and we go paddle out and it's really fun. We have a great time. And so this time my coach's wife came with, you know, with their kids and she has a three-year-old daughter who's, you know, pretty shy. It's, we're a loud group. So she was just being very, very quiet. And so we paddled to the sandbar and we just sit there and, you know, we swim and whatever. And so when we were at the sandbar, just started to make like a sandcastle with her. And I had, I managed to get a feather and tie it to a stick with seaweed. And, you know, we made the sandcastle and she was really into me. And then Later in the crowd, it was so cute. We went back to the house. We were having like a cookout and she, you could see she was like overwhelmed by all the people, you know, shy. But she came over right to me and she was so cute. She just put her hand on her hip and she just comes up to me and says, you know, so what's your favorite color? (laughs) It's like, oh, my favorite color is orange. What's yours? And purple. And we we went back and forth, you know, I said, what's your favorite number? And I think I broke her little three-year-old brain. (laughs) But the point I want to make is I say this and oh crap, I have a toddler, right? Our kids, they want to be part of the conversation, but they don't have a whole base with which to converse, right? Like you and I can bring up a multitude of things, you know, but kids have limited experience. So oftentimes when they are asking you, why, 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 (laughs) right? A lot of times it's just to keep you engaged. They don't actually care about the why. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't. And the why usually can be answered in a pretty succinct actual answer, but they keep asking why. And I know that's a really annoying part of childhood for most parents, but they want engagement and they just don't, they want to be part of the conversation and they don't have the the experience or the skills to be part of the conversation. If your child's looking for engagement or you have a new kid and and the kid seems shy or any sort of circumstance where the kid looks like they want to engage, but they can't start with favorites, favorite animals, favorite number, favorite color, favorite shape. And that gets them talking. And it's something that is important to them, right? Their favorite things are important to them. And I also love, I don't know if you follow Simon Holland. He's a really funny dad. He's got the funniest tweets or I don't know, memes. And he said, I love kids because no adult ever asks you your third favorite dinosaur. And I was like, yeah, that's true. (laughs) So it's just another way to engage your kids and keep them, you know, keep them talking and keep them connected to you and engaged. It's fun. So I just wanted to point that out. All right, moving on. Let's see. Oh, let me give you an update on my mom because this leads into a lot of other things I want to talk about. So my mom, you guys know my mom's been on a medical decline. If you're new to this podcast, my mom has had more medical things go wrong. It's like she's a medical Murphy's Law. It's just crazy. But she recently had a stroke. Not re- Well, past, I don't even know now. Maybe that was 
I don't know, eight months ago. I can't remember. I'm so bad with time in a year's format that it doesn't work for my brain. But she just keeps kind of declining. She's just really frail. She's down to a hundred pounds. But recently she had another incident. So she has a leaky tricuspid valve in her aorta. No, that's, yeah, it's connected to the heart. I don't, I can't keep track with my mom. So sorry. (laughs) But she, what happens is she leaks fluid. And so she fills with fluid. And this has happened now four times. And she fills with fluid and it starts to press against her organs. So then the first thing that kind of happens is she loses her appetite because she, it presses against her stomach and she appears really full, even though she hasn't eaten a lot. Then it starts to make its way. She gets very out of breath, even though her her resting heart rate, her she has a pulsometer, her oxygen, everything seems fine, but she almost can't finish a sentence. And then it starts to drown her brain. And she appears to have like sudden onset dementia. She loses all her language. She kind of doesn't make sense. And so that happened again. And it's terrible because now we know the symptoms. She goes to the hospital. They gave her Lasix. She pees, you know, 13 liters of fluid. But because she's so little, it's almost hard to see when she's holding the fluid. And so we've taken to like measuring her legs and her calves so we can, you know, detect this faster. And with all of us, we just try to keep an eye on it and we can get her to the hospital in time. So anyway, this happened again recently and it just, it sets her back because at her age, she's 77, but she already has such massive muscle loss, which is called sarcopenia. And so, and her, I'm sure her bone density is down to nothing. So she's really a big fall away from death. And so every time she goes into the hospital, she's still, you know, and so she loses whatever tiny muscle mass she has. And so when this happens and she comes home from the hospital and I watch her try to get some semblance of real life going on, you know, and by real life, I mean, going to the bathroom by herself, being able to shower by herself, being able to get up in the middle of the night by herself. It really is a wake up call for me because I can see how my, and my mom is on the far end. Of course, she has rheumatoid arthritis, but my aunt is not far behind her and my grandmother already died and my grandmother had some of these things. And then my aunt has very similar things. And then my sister has very similar things. So I can see, I can see the trajectory of my medical history. And that is why I am so passionate about strength training and food, because I think one of the more telling things that changed my life, and I I mentioned this in another podcast was you are born with a genetic history, but those genes don't have to express themselves. Those genes are expressed through lifestyle and dietary choices. And that, when I heard that, oof, going on 15 years ago from Mark Sisson, it blew me away. I was like, oh yeah, like that's how some people sort of escape their genetic history, right? So I've just been sort of galvanized again with watching my mom because I know you guys aren't there yet and maybe even your parents aren't there yet. But watching somebody get super frail, lose their muscle mass, and it's so scary because is she alive? Yes. Her quality of life has gone down by 90%, 90%. And so I know sometimes in the, I don't know, health space, biohacking space, people get very obsessed with longevity. I'm here to tell you longevity means nothing if you don't have a strong, healthy body. Watching my mom, her quality of life, I can't even describe it. So it just, it, it always just makes me like, oh my God, okay, just keep getting strong. <laughs> and so I wanted, this is like a, a call to arms. My mom 
as much as she has these, it appears to be random. I do believe the last 25 years for her, she could have made changes with her dietary choices and, and certainly with her, her physical health, like her physical strength. Yes. And my mom didn't take good care of her body. You know, she's a boomer and her and my stepdad drank a ton. You know, they partied, they didn't, nobody worked out. I, I can't really blame her. They, I, they started to walk when working out became a thing, you know, but she didn't take care of her body at all. And so it really stacks up and it starts to, it can really affect you later in life. So anyway, that's my like, oh my God, we gotta, <laughs> you know, I don't want to get panicky, but I do want to go back to, as much as I've said it before in this podcast, I want to go back to strength training for you guys, especially, you know, I know my audience is mostly moms. This goes true for dads too, but you've got to start strength training. After 40, everything starts to go. Your protein synthesis goes down. So you have to sort of double down on protein to get all those amino acids to keep muscle. And you want to keep strength because the muscle is the biggest organ in the body. We used to say it was the skin, but now we know it's muscle and muscle can make up 50% of your body. And having that muscle is protective, right? It protects you from losing your balance and falling. So those are the two things as you age, those are the two things that get really scary. And this is how old people, their lives close. They get very small. They start staying home more. They get more fearful because if you can't balance and you continually fall, that's scary. It said that one of the biggest rates of death for the elderly is complications from a fall. So the fall itself isn't going to do that. But once you fall, you end up in the hospital. Once you're in the hospital, as an elderly person with a compromised immune system, which most elderly people have just by default, not a lot of muscle, right? What happens is you're more prone to all the disease and not diseases, but sicknesses you can get in the hospital, like staph, like pneumonia. So a lot of elderly people go into the hospital, get a pneumonia in the hospital, and then they die. So it's not the fall itself that kills them, but it's the complications from a fall. And then what happens is you, your rehab by nature, you're sitting still more, right? So keeping muscle on your body is not about vanity. And more and more studies are coming out. Even if you are obese, obese people who exercise are way, way better off than, you know, the skinny person who doesn't exercise. And that's why like health at every size is a damaging concept, not on the obese side, which most people focus on, but it's also, it's damaging, I think, to the people who think skinny is healthy, right? So it's about strength. It's not about size. <laughs> so keep up. And so on that note, I wanted to mention my friend, Jen, who has not really ever worked out. Like it, you know, she, she lives her life. She's been happy with her body. She's one of the very few people I know who has zero, zero, zero food issues, eats well, eats for what, when she's full, you know, never had any dietary things, no diets in her youth, you know, it's pretty rare to meet somebody, a female in America who's never questioned food at all. (laughs) She said, you know, I really want to, I really want to start working out. So one of the things she did is she's working with a naturopath on her perimenopausal blood work, because when you start going into perimenopause, guys, that's where you just want to start paying attention. You want to start paying attention to your insulin. You want to start paying attention to insulin resistance because we start getting estrogen dominant, right? And you want to get some blood work done and know where your hormones are and not just your reproductive hormones, all your other hormones. Like where are you with your cortisol? Where are you with your adrenaline? These things are super important because as you go into menopause, there's going to be huge changes, right? And 
this happened sooner than you think. And I know I've been harping on this, but I, I have to keep saying it. It's happening to women. One of the things that is sort of an alarm bell for me is it's happening to women younger and younger, like full-blown, miserable perimenopause at 40. And perimenopause can take a long time. I'll be 55 this year. And I just, I haven't had a cycle in four months. So I haven't gone a year without my cycle, but obviously I'm headed there. (laughs) So, but one of the things that happens, you know, progesterone, estrogen, and testosterone, they all get kind of wonky. And for women, testosterone goes down and testosterone is like, it's your energy. You know, most people associate it as a male hormone, but it is your drive. It can be your, it can be part of your sex drive. It can be part of your energy level. It could be part of your get up and go. So Jen knew her testosterone was a little low. And so she asked me, you know, she was like, what should I do? I'm thinking about kettlebells. And I was like, oh man, I love kettlebells. So I'm sure you guys have heard of kettlebells. If you haven't, they're weights. And they look almost like, remember those hippity hops we had? It was like a balloon. You could sit on it and it had like a handle on it. It looks like a hippity hop, but it's a weight. It's tiny and it's flat on the bottom. So it rests. It's from Russia and it used to be like a weight system for trains. I forget the exact origin of them. And like the train guys and the, the freight guys started just like busting each other's balls and lifting heavy, heavier and heavier kettlebells. But what happens because there's a handle on it, the weight isn't directly in your hand. So it uses a lot more stabilizing muscles to keep under control. And so it, it works a lot of tiny muscles, those stabilizer muscles, like in your core, that aren't your big muscle groups. It's not, you know, I mean, it's good for big muscle groups too, but because of the stabilization necessary, it is an awesome tool. So Jen wanted to work with kettlebells and she was like, they're pricey, weights are pricey. So she said, you know, but what should I get? Because if I need two, I want to be cautious about which one, you know, I don't have tons of money to spend. So I was like, oh, the great thing about kettlebells is you don't need two. So, you know, if you know weights at all, you might buy dumbbells and you buy a set, you buy like, two 10-pound dumbbells, right? But with kettlebells, you only need one because most of the exercises can be just one hand at a time, one side at a time. And there's all kinds of rotational things you can do. But I said, you know, get a low weight, something manageable because you're just learning. So something equivalent to like five to eight pounds. Kettlebells are usually measured in kilograms, but most of my audience is in America. So I'll just do do pounds. She insisted I share this with you. Let me start with that because she found it to be so useful. So if you are interested in strength training, if you are interested in weight training, which I think you should be, and you don't want to do gyms, that's great. I know a lot of women are intimidated by gyms. Jen didn't want to go to a gym. There's a cost. There's travel. You know, they can be very intimidating. I have never found anybody at the gym to be judgy, but it can be very intimidating with the big bros there, the big... Learning how to lift can be very intimidating. So if you want to start at home with kettlebells, it's an awesome entry point. So what you should do is start with, you probably need three in the beginning. You need one again, that's around five to eight pounds. And then you need one that maybe is like 10 to 12 pounds. And then one that's closer to maybe 20 to 30, 35 pounds. Because some of the things you can do are two-handed and you want a little bit heavier. So you always want to start low with weight when you're a beginner and learning the form and the exercise. You want to be able to go up in weight as your strength goes because that's what puts the stress on the muscle, which, which makes it grow. The great thing about this is that, again, three kettlebells will last you for a long time. Then you might have to go up again. 
but they're also very easily resellable. You know, we were talking about it and I said, listen, one of the best things you can do that is a good gauge, a good predictor of your healthy longevity is your grip strength. So that's how you grip things, right? And I'm not talking about a handshake. I'm talking about you should be able to hang like from a bar for at least a minute, just hang and that's it. So if you can't do that, that's a really good goal to aim for because that grip strength, what happens is it hits all the muscles in your arms. It goes down your sides, your lats, your serratus. It engages all the muscles in your back and it's just an, it's a predictor of longevity healthy longevity, not not my mom's longevity. So if you can't do that, one of the things you can train is called a farmer's carry. So you literally just walk around with two weights in your hand. And this can be done with anything. Yes, it doesn't have to be kettlebells. But if you have the kettlebells, you can walk around and it's great to do two different weights. You can switch them off, right? Like if you have 25 pounds in your right hand and 10 pounds in your left hand, you know, you can walk around for two minutes and then you can just switch them. So you're evenly weighted. But this is a great trick I learned from a book I read on functional fitness. When we talk about functional fitness, we're talking about fitness to live your fucking life. And that's what I do. Like, yes, I'm training right now for the big race I have in September and that's extreme. But for the most part, year round, I am training for old age. I want to be able to get up. I want to wipe my own ass when I'm 80. I really like, that's what I'm training for. I'm training for menopause for, you know, a healthy long life. And I, I just want to be as healthy as I can, as long as I can. So longevity doesn't matter to me as much. I have no goals of trying to get to a hundred. I don't care. I just want to be as strong and healthy as I can, as long as I can. One of the things is functional fitness. So if you're training, you know, the reason we train squats, yeah, your booty's going to look better. Yeah, your quads might look better, but you also can get up and down better. You can get off a chair, like a ridiculous amount of old people right now can't get out of a chair unassisted, like by putting their hands on the chair or on their legs, just can't pull themselves up. So again, that's what I encourage you to think. And so this farmers carry with different weights is functional fitness because when in real life are you ever carrying two things that are even, right? Maybe at the grocery store, if you have two 10 pound bags of potatoes, right? But typically what do you have? You have a a package of toilet paper in your left hand and you have your 45 pound kit on your hip, right? We are always uneven. Uh, And so I just think it's such a great way to think about getting stronger, particularly if you're in the camp of like, I hate working out. So many people come to me. I hate working out. I, um, I don't like sweating. I don't want to lift weights. Like I don't, I don't, I don't start with whatever you can. And walking is the best way to start. If you're at ground zero walking 100%. I'd only wear a fitness tracker now when I do like low heart rate training, just so I can manage my heart rate. But I encourage you, if you're starting at ground zero, get just a cheap, Fitbit or something, just so you can keep an eye on your steps. We know 10,000 to 15,000 steps increases your health by like 50%. It's the best thing you can do. We talked about in one of the other episodes, I talked about NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. It's not bullshit. Like park your car farther away, right? You get to, when you're at a store, take the stairs instead of the elevator, all those things add up. And so that's like the best thing you can do. And then buy a couple of kettlebells. If you do nothing else, just walk around with them in your hand. And if money is a problem, 
honestly, the best muscle I have ever grown. I have a $5, five gallon bucket from Home Depot and I fill it with rocks. And you can walk around the block with that. You can take some rocks out and walk with two. There's so many things you can do. You can have two gallons of, of water if cost is an issue, but just start building that muscle now because it gets incredibly hard. Once you hit, it used to be 50, but now I'm hearing 45 to 40, you start losing muscle at a very rapid rate and you cannot, it's not that you can't get it back. It's just incredibly hard to get it back. So Jen, now let's get back to Jen and her kettlebells. That was the the stuff she wanted to hear from me. But then she's been at it for about a month, I think. Like every day she leaves me a message. She's like, oh, oh my God, I just, I can't wait to do it again tomorrow. I am getting strong. And then she got some blood work done and her testosterone went up and she feels, she can feel it. She feels great. She's like, I never thought I would be this person. I never thought I would be the person looking forward to working out and I can't wait. But here's the best thing. She asked me, you know, where do you put them? She has a little house and I was like, I have a tiny house. And I was like, dude, I live right in the middle of my living room. Like I can show you guys a picture. Like my weights are right, right in the middle, not in the middle of the floor. They're off to the side, but I want to make it available that if I'm writing or working between clients, I can just do some heavy lifting. I can lift some things. It doesn't always have to be a quote unquote workout. It can be throughout the day. It can be when you have five minutes, pick up those kettlebells and walk around, right? Those all count. So I think we get really lost in this, like I have to do 30 minutes and I have to do, you know, my heart rate has to be this. There's so much, there's so much noise out there about it, right? So she said, okay. So I, and you know, I like the look of kettlebells. <laughs> so she just kind of put them in her living room and her kids are picking them up and walking around. And she told her kids, listen, you need to be able to hang for a minute, hang for a minute, you know, from a bar. And so now they took it on as a challenge and now they're walking around with the weights and it's just amazing. Now, if you're brand new to lifting any sort of weight, and this goes for children too, we used to think that children couldn't lift weights, that it would screw with their growth plate, but now we know that's false. They can absolutely 100% lift weights, but they do need proper form. So if you were to invest in anything, and if money's tight and you want to invest in something, but you don't have a ton, I would seriously invest in a trainer for just one session. With kettlebells in particular, the kettlebell swing is a tricky motion. If that's not in your budget, what I would do is absolutely you can learn on YouTube, but what you want to do is videotape yourself and then compare yourself to somebody with good form on YouTube. Yeah. And a person that has good form is going to show you what bad form looks like and then what good form looks like. So if you're brand new to this, you're like, yeah, Jamie, how do I even know what good form is? (laughs) So that's what you would look for on YouTube. I'm also going to link in the show notes. I'm going to link my favorite person for kettlebell workouts on YouTube. She has small workouts. She has 45 minute workouts. She has 30 minute workouts, 20 minute workouts. And I think she is very good at explaining. And one of the things I like about her, she does like a whole workout with rests in between where she shows you how to set up the weight. I think that is really beneficial. Sometimes when we try to do a workout off of YouTube, they just kind of give you the exercise in a brief video and tell you to do it 10 times. I don't like that. I like a whole thing. So I'll link that for you guys. And then it's great. And get your kids involved, right? Because I know my audience in particular, I know you're trying to get outside with your kids. I know you value big play. And I know that sometimes it's not possible. And I think it's just like, hey, with our with a whole family focus of getting stronger, I think that's like so super cool. 
This episode is brought to you by Google Pixel, the official fan phone of the NBA and WNBA. The new Pixel 8 and Pixel 8 Pro are built different. How? Take the Audio Magic Eraser tool. It helps block out distracting crowd noise so your play-by-play commentary sounds crystal clear. The only phone engineered by Google brings out the audio you care about so your videos sound as crisp as they look. Learn more at googlestore.com forward slash pixel NBA. Audio Magic Eraser requires Google Photos app. May not work on all audio elements. Okay. Now, I want to tell you guys, so I finally got a CGM. So that's the continuous glucose monitor. And what happened was I was, I was really lucky because this company wants to sponsor the podcast. And I'm, I'm really hyped up because what happens is if you're listening, my Patreon members get this podcast ad free. But if you're listening to this on Spotify, I have to get ads because I'm committed to giving you guys free content, but I still need to be paid for free content. <laughs> so Patreon, it's a dollar a month to join and you get that ad free. But what I'm really trying to do is Spotify right now is providing the ads. And so I had to re-listen to one of my podcasts and there was like a fantasy football ad. And I was like, oh my God, this sucks. I just, I don't, at least if there, if there has to be ads, I want them to be useful for you guys or to be products that I feel passionate about. So I am reaching out to other people so I can like figure out <laughs> better ads that at least you need and make want a discount code. So anyway, this company that I had sampled at that metabolic conference. It's called Good Idea. They're a salsa water with amino acids. So it's just like a regular salsa water. There's like no sugar, no nothing like a flavored salsa water, but it has the amino acids and it can level out your blood sugar. So they were interested in being a sponsor. And I said, well, that's cool, but I'm not going to recommend something without data. Like just because you say it works doesn't mean it works. right? <laughs> so, so they got me a CGM so I can track right? And they had, there's very controlled experiments. So you can see how this product works. And what happened was in like the first week or two, I wasn't even getting sort of a blood sugar spike because the way I eat and I do know how to eat like sort of metabolically well. So it was like not really great for an experiment. And one of the things they helped me do is they'll set out a graph, like with all the, you know, with the before, like, this is what happened when I ate this. And this is what what happened when I ate that with this good idea it wasn't impressive, like the way I eat. So I was like, all right, what do I need to do? So I thought, oh, well, let me, let me be in the space of a busy mom, right? Like a busy mom who's like, kids are in daycare, you're working outside the home. Everybody, it's a clusterfuck. You have to, the snack foods, right? What do you have in the car? What do you have when you're strung out? And so, you know, my kid's not there anymore. So I had to like put my hat on to be in you guys' headspace. And I thought, okay, well, I know for most of my audience, everybody's trying, right? I would categorize most of my audience as like, yeah, shops that can shop at Whole Foods, sometimes goes to, you know, stop and shop Aldi's or, you know, does regular markets, sometimes has to stop for McDonald's. (laughs) I think we're all trying, but I think most people I work with are falling under that greenwashed category, right? That category of like getting at Whole Foods, trying to find things that like check all the boxes, but are like a quote unquote healthy snack. So I went to Whole Foods and it killed me, but I had to buy these products. Like this one just kills me. It's called Made Good. Like, I just feel like, okay, you're at Whole Foods. The packaging is great. It looks like recycled. It's really good, good packaging. You know, it really makes you feel like you're buying something good. And the name is Made Good. (laughs) Come on. So I I got some of that. And so I decided I was going to do these experiments where let me see how this food affects me. And of course, this is all bio-individual. One of the great things about the CGM is that it shows how food affects you. So I can't say that this is going to be true for every person, but I do think there can be some universal truths. 
So then this one morning I decided, okay, before I hit that, before I hit the snacky snack food, let me hit like just a regular meal on an empty stomach. So if you remember Danielle Hamilton, she was the blood sugar specialist I had on. She really talked about naked carbs, which are carbs when you have a heavy carbohydrate load without any protein or fat to buffer it, right? And that the order you eat things in really can be the easiest hack to keep your blood sugar pretty stabilized, right? So I said, let me try out the naked carb because I do know that, and I want to relate this back to kids. I know I'm an adult. I know it's not the same. Everybody's different. And I know for certain children can definitely handle a way bigger carbohydrate load than a menopausal woman. I know. But I was like, you know, how many times do we get stuck? And I, I would do this with Pascal when he was little, like they can have a banana. That's just a naked carb if there's nothing, right? Or maybe it's a pouch. Maybe they're in the back of the car and really kind of hungry and you give them a pouch. Still, that's going to be a naked carb. So I said, all right. So I went pretty normal. I said, let me have a half a cup of oatmeal, which is bullshit. A half a cup of oatmeal is like freaking five bites, right? But I, I was like, all right, let me just... Let me just keep the numbers low, like <laughs> to see, right? So I, I had a half a cup of oatmeal. I had a half a banana, also bullshit. Banana comes in a whole package, which came to two ounces. I had a serving of non-fat yogurt, plain, no sugar added, and a cup of blueberries. Now with the CGM, every time what happens with your blood glucose, right? It's, and your blood sugar is every time you eat something, it does go up and you want it to come down relatively quickly. You want it to stay in a range, and that range is 70 milligrams to 150. And that's a range, and that's a pretty wide range, right? But you want it to, to come down quickly, but stay in that range. You don't want it to come down quickly and go below that range, because that's when you start to feel hypoglycemic, right? Like you want to get, you get shaky, you need, um, you need something immediately, but you do want it to be almost like a mountain peak, right? You don't want it to come down in a rolling hill, because if it comes down slowly, what that means is insulin is still present and insulin can't get into the cells, can't take that blood sugar into the cells, which then means your cells are full and that is a sign of insulin resistance, right? So that's what you're looking at when you're looking at this graph. So I had this meal that like, I don't know, this whole, like I just was testing the actual foods and I didn't want to eat like a lot because I didn't want quantity to be a factor, right? I was just looking at what the food did. But by the way, that meal is bullshit. Like if that's what you're eating as a grown woman, please don't eat that. <laughs> so, but I sat there. Okay, you guys, I stay in a tight range with the way I eat. I stay in a tight range of 80 to 90, which is metabolically healthy. It's great. My fasting glucose is great. I sat there and watched within an hour, my blood glucose went up to two. 13, which is well past the diabetic threshold. It came down fairly quickly because I have a lot of muscle. Muscle soaks up glucose. The more muscle you have, the more carbohydrates you can handle. It soaks up the glucose and gets it into the cells. So 213, it spiked so fast. I was like, whoa. Now I didn't feel any sort of erratic behavior, but this is where we say with kids, there are studies after studies that sugar, just plain sugar, isn't what like makes kids hyper. However, I do think when blood sugar spikes like this and then comes down, that's where we see erratic behavior. Now, you and I, when we have erratic behavior, we can usually chill out. Like we might be tired or cranky, but we can be like, okay. I think when it happens to kids, they just don't know what to do with the energy. You know, and I know I, I use carbohydrates very strategically for training. And when I have carbohydrates, I'm like, 
let's go. Like I'm excited. Like you definitely use carbohydrates like in these races and stuff because you get this quick energy. So quick energy and you and I might be like, all right, I'm going to do the dishes. All right, I'm going to clean the house, right? But for a kid, it might be like, ah! <laughs> but here's the thing that shocked me. As this was happening, literally, I was so hungry for for crap food. I almost ate all that stuff I bought from Whole Foods. Like all I wanted was like sweet. That's all. It was almost unbearable. It was so prominent. I was like, wow, I haven't craved like sweets in so long. And I ended up just going outside, (laughs) going into the garden because I was like, oh my God. I was like ravenous, but not ravenous for chicken or broccoli. (laughs) I was ravenous for like sweet and that like fat and carbohydrate connection. So, uh, you know, I was like, wow, this is amazing. And one of the things I was thinking, and again, this is all me thinking. I recognize that everybody's different and everybody, especially our kids are different, but I was like, oh my goodness, I wonder if this is where the incessant snacking comes in, right? You know, like we, I see it all over Instagram, right? Like, oh my God, the kids are home, snack, 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 snack. And, you know, for a long time, I think we all thought maybe they're just bored, but I think it fits this naked carb, right? Which is an easy fix. Just have some protein and fat beforehand. And it's like an easy fix. So anyway, I thought I, I was amazed and this good idea really does work. So they will be a sponsor of this podcast. But if you guys also want a discount code and try it out, it's good idea. And my code is Jamie, capital letters. So wicked cool. The reason, again, we want to keep our blood sugar stable is number one, you don't want to be in the pre-diabetic range. And number two, you just stay more level. Your hunger is not urgent. You just stay more level. And as we age, this can be responsible for all the metabolic problems, right? Like PCOS is a big one. So you definitely just want to you want to keep an eye on it. Insulin is king and all the other hormones follow. So yeah. One thing I thought was really interesting is it's a monitor that gets put on your arm. And so people know about it and it's, it's widespread now. So people are like, Oh, you have a CGM. And I was like, yeah. And they were like, Oh, are you diabetic? No, I'm not. I'm just, you know, kind of doing experiments. And then there's this big thing going on where people go, it's only good for diabetics. You don't need it. And I think, wow, wouldn't it be good to know if you were pre-diabetic? Like, I just think, I think like, why would we wait till we are in the danger zone? Wouldn't you like to know if you're headed toward the danger zone? So anyway, I think insurance covers the CGMs. I think it's a fascinating experiment to see how certain things affect you and and the things that just really easy sort of little hacks that you can do. And even this seltzer, I was thinking, wow, it's, it's just like a flavored seltzer if your kid likes that. Like, what if you have to go to a birthday party and your kid's being fussy and doesn't want to eat anything beforehand. And you know, the first thing they're going to eat is cake, you know, Hey, have some of this salsa water and keep their blood sugar nice and nice and even moving on. I know that the last, I don't know, however long, I know I've been focusing a lot on food and I had posted some things on Instagram and I, I got hit. It got ugly. And basically there were many, many people who, who expressed the thing of stay in your lane, stay in your lane, and what are your credentials? And so that was a really interesting thing. So literally I have a post on Instagram where somebody said, no offense, but I came here for potty training tips, not for nutritional advice. And I was like, oh my God, what goes in comes out. What goes in has everything to do with what comes out. <laughs> so, so anyway, I want to reiterate what I've said before. I have no vested interest in how you guys eat or how you feed your children. I really don't. This is your life. This is your health. This is your body. This is your parenting. 
my honest to God goal is that you feel good. And if you are hangry, if your kids are hangry because of blood sugar issues, if you don't feel good, if you, you know, the hips, I'm like, I'm about to do a bunch of mobility stuff on Instagram for hips because hips typically after childbirth, our hips are jacked, right? And we store emotional baggage in our hips. I know this for a fact. Like when you release your hips, a lot of times massive tears come because there's shit that's stuck there. So hip mobility, it also, you want to keep your hips in great condition so you don't fall and break a hip, right? And so, so they're all connected and your health and well-being is connected to your parenting. Your food choices are directly connected to how you poop, how you feel throughout the day. I want you to be the best parent you can be. And we want to take care of these big stones that have nothing to do with philosophy, with your parenting style, with gentle parenting. Do you know how fucking hard it is to be a gentle parent? If you don't feel good, it's miserable. Do you know how hard it is to be a kid when your body's out of whack? Miserable, right? And one of the things I even say, so everybody loves Maverick. Everybody thinks he's like the best dog in the world because we exercise him. He gets out constantly. And so Pascal's friends, their dogs, one of his friends has like a husky that needs exercise. And this dog is bad, like bad. He is horrible behavior but they don't walk him ever. He stays on a short leash in the yard. They might take him like down the road. So like our kids, like I don't want your kid to exercise because of a fitness phase. I want your kids to get good play because they behave better. My dog is good because he runs around. Right? And so that is my only vested interest. I just am astounded. There's a, a big push online right now of like, what are your credentials? I just want to remind you that all the letters after your name in the world still don't make up for, for experience, lived experience. And we have the internet. We have Google Scholar. We can access all the things. You know, I've said this before in the podcast. I have been disappointed by doctors who are very good at what they do in their one area, but they don't have time. They don't have time to do all this stuff. Registered dietitians and nutritionists let me down. I got sicker for their advice. And then I find out that their governing board is sponsored, but is completely funded by pharmaceuticals, by Kellogg's, Frito-Lay, Pepsi-Cola, and McDonald's. So we're just in a really weird place. And so anyway, I just want to reiterate that. Yes, I'm not a registered dietitian. No, I'm not a nutritionist, but I'm somebody who cares deeply about this. And I want you to know what I've learned. And I want to share that knowledge and then maybe spark something for you. So you have some other you know, avenues to go down when you're looking for answers. And that's all. So I'm not selling anything with food. I'm not selling you a food. Pro- <laughs> I'm not selling anything. I just want you guys to feel really good. And I want your kids to feel really good. And so I feel like there's just a strange thing, you know, one of the other things is like, I'm seeing rampant on not the internet, but mostly social media is this idea that you can't talk about food Like, you know how we can't talk about weight? And I agree, we don't need to talk about weight with anybody, you know? But I do feel like when we're talking about our kids and food, there's this, I'm literally seeing this online. Don't talk about it at all. Don't talk about it because if you, like I can understand if you say good, bad, healthy, unhealthy, I understand how that's moralizing, but I maintain that we can't moralize an inanimate object. You know what I mean? But that even teaching your child about anything about food is going to create an eating disorder. And I saw a person comment on a thread that was really poignant. This person said, this is all well and good, 
but I wish I'd known about, I was, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old with disordered eating, but nobody ever told me what macronutrients were, what nutrients fuel my body, what other things don't. So I had no clue. So even in trying to attempt health, I didn't know, which I ended up with disordered eating. And I, it really struck a nerve with me because I've said this before, right? In my quest for finding what works for my body, I was led down some wrong paths. So I really wish somebody had taught me this. My ex-sister-in-law, she went for a gastric bypass and her insurance would cover it if she took nutrition classes. So she took this nutrition class and she came back to me. And this woman is a CEO. This woman is intelligent. She runs a bank. She's smart. She came back to me and she said, Jamie, did you know there are these things called macronutrients? They're carbohydrates, protein, and fat. Did you know that? And that you need protein? Like I was like, yeah, I knew that. How did you not? So a grown woman did not have that information. So I do think it's really important to teach our kids. And yes, you don't have to make it horrible or not horrible, but I would argue that there are things that we should have in our body and that we should, right? And I think what's astounding me is I think it's okay. They're prevalent right now. The prevalent idea is that you must expose your child to hyperpalatable prepackaged food because otherwise you're creating an eating disorder. And this is on a daily basis. This literally is what I'm seeing from the experts is like absolutely 100%. If you don't have these snacks in your cupboard, your child will have an eating disorder. And I'm like, how about, I don't know. Like I just never had that at home. At home, my home was a base of nutritious food. I never restricted my child at parties. I never restricted him when he was out with his friends. You know, maybe when he was very little, I brought my own food, but I didn't do that. Like, I do think you guys, there's this middle ground. You know, I recently interviewed the food babe. Honestly, I admire what she does, but I will stop at McDonald's. I will stop. You know what I mean? Like, I think we do our best most of the time. And so I just, I kind of wanted to say that because I just feel like once again, there's like a pendulum swing. And I was like, I almost think we're creating an eating disorder here. Like if you expose your kids to this in your home, I think that's where picky eating can come in. So for example, like for example, everybody I work with, and I know I always use Pop-Tarts because literally I keep hearing about kids who only eat Pop-Tarts. So I use this example, even though it's probably on the extreme side. If you go by the prevailing wisdom right now, I can't call it wisdom, the information that experts are putting out. You should have a Pop-Tart every day because otherwise your kid will have an eating disorder. But then I have kids who get down to only eating Pop-Tarts and I'm like, well, maybe if it wasn't at home, how did they get addicted to Pop-Tarts? That's what I'm not addicted, but you know, their picky eating is whittled down to, right? Which I could argue was an addiction, (laughs) but I'll just say like, it's whittled down to just this, but how did they get that? So like, I don't care if my kid has a Pop-Tart at his friend's house. Like, I don't care. But then if he comes home, And he says, I want a Pop-Tart. That's not in my house. Do do you know what I'm saying? So I feel like, how are these kids getting down to this one food or two foods that are these hyperpalatable snacks? I think it's because we expose them in the home, right? So if the home is just a base of nutrition and literally guys that went into my factor of homeschooling because the, the stuff my kid was getting, he was getting cupcakes brought into the classroom, ice cream, you know, they had ice cream day. He was getting a lot of treats at school. And I was like, fuck, I can't give him anything at home. He comes home and I have to be the nutritional base. I want to give my kid a treat sometimes too. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, 
but he was getting it all outside the house. So I think there's a balance here. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. Like we've gotten so scared of eating disorders, which I understand that now we're like not talking about anything, but in that is knowledge and knowledge is power. And we go back to the example I used with Pascal and what do you call it? Uh, like carbohydrates and then protein and fat. And I was like, carbohydrates are awesome. They're like a sparkler though. Like, and he played baseball. Baseball is a two hour game, right? So that burst of energy, that might be great if you're a sprinter, but for baseball, you're kind of hanging around, not doing too much, you know? So I was like, buddy, it's like a sparkler. It burns out really fast. When you have protein and fat, it's like a candle that stays really steady and well lit. And so I didn't say, this is healthy. This is not healthy. This is good. Healthy is such a bullshit word. Anyway, you guys like, what is that? When somebody says I eat healthy, I'm like, what does that even mean? There's so many variations, right? So instead of using those words, we still can explain what food does in our body and what it doesn't, you know, and what's going to be great, you know, and what's going to maybe stir up some stuff. Like with him, it was bleeding eczema. I noticed whether it's gluten or how the wheat's grown in the US, we still are debating that. But if he had gluten, his eczema would get so, so like bleeding. So when he wanted it or was like almost crying for it, I said, buddy, you can have it, but your eczema is going to bleed. And at least in that way, even as a young child, I gave him options and I gave him the knowledge. So you can have it just like me. I fucking love gluten. I love fucking bread. It doesn't feel good in my body. Doesn't mean I'm not going to have it. I'm going to have it when I want it. I just know how it's going to affect me and that my arthritis is going to hurt and I'm going to be, you know, dark circles under my eyes. Pooping's going to be harder. So that way I'm not a victim to my own body. And I think that's how we teach kids, right? Like it does this, it feels like this, make your choice accordingly. And of course that's hard. You know, three-year-olds are never going to make that a good choice. But when we start introducing that, I just think, I don't know. I don't, I feel like it doesn't have to be this thing. It's this huge thing online right now. And I'm like, Oh my God, just, I don't know, just eat well at home. <laughs> but again, I don't know. We're in a, we're in a zone, I guess, that everything's tricky. I'm sorry, guys. This is a longer podcast than I intended it to be, but I hope it was helpful. And again, I just want to reiterate, I really, I'm not trying to push anything on anybody except I want you to feel good. I want you to feel good in your body. I want you to get out of bed happy in the morning and I want your kids to be happy. All right. With that, rock on. As always, I appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate everybody in Patreon who is part of the community. And yeah, rock on and have a beautiful day. Okay. Bye, everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources, I have Oh Crap Potty Training. I have Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler. Those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. (laughs) You can also go to my website, jamieglowacki.com, where you can book private sessions with me, buy any of my courses. Those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, jamie.glowacki. And I do a lot of lives and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.